Well, let's remain standing as you take your Bibles. We stand uh, not out of reverence to reading a religious book. We stand as servants of the Lord, uh, ready to do his will, eager to hear what our King and Savior has to say. If you turn in your Bibles to Zephaniah, Zephaniah 1.1, we're going to read uh, the introduction to Zephaniah. Listen to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Let's pray. Father, we come and we are grateful that You have indeed given Jesus the name that is above every name, that he is Lord, and he is reigning and ruling, and you are bringing all of history to a culmination and a climax into his kingship on this earth. Lord, when we read a verse like this, we're reminded that our faith is not Uh, philosophical it's not abstract it's historical it's rooted in real people with real names that gives us comfort lord knowing that you know our name and you know our present historical circumstances not only us as individuals us as a church you know what's going on in our nation and you know what's going on in this world and lord may what we hear today may it strengthen the work of faith in our lives, our church. May it deepen our labor of love. And may, Lord, it just ground the perseverance of our hope in you, in the person of your Son, and in your purposes that you are accomplishing. So, Father, we come again afresh and anew, and we ask, Lord, that you would... uh, yield our hearts, that you would prepare our hearts, that we would cooperate with your spirit, and that what we hear would translate into action, into repentance, into faith, into love, and into hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are beginning a uh, brand new series in the Old Testament book of Zephaniah called Hope Through the Darkness. As I'm sure most of you are aware, we are surely living in some dark times. The world is caught in a grip of fear, it seems. People's lives are dominated by chaos and confusion and corruption as we even embark on this new year. As John MacArthur writes, we shudder to think how society could degrade into further corruption, further darkness and disarray, and yet the world keeps finding new lows to which it too willingly sinks. Should the Lord tarry, we might eventually look back at 2020 as the good old days. So how do we make sense of this world we are living in? Is there any hope through the darkness that seems to surround us? And the answer is yes. But that hope is not found in a political party. It's not found in a new president or even 
new government policies, but only in a sovereign God that has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. In a world that's dominated by moral and spiritual darkness, only God offers us hope. And if we want to make sense of the days that we are living in, God's Word is the only place for us to turn. And so I want to invite you, let us here this morning for the next few weeks, let us turn to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is typically not too high on people's lists of favorite books of the Bible. Is that anyone's here, perhaps? It's tucked away in our Bibles in a section called the Minor Prophets. In fact, it's really easy to miss this little book when you're skimming through the pages of the Old Testament. Now, minor doesn't necessarily mean insignificant. But rather, minor means that the prophet's book was smaller or shorter in length than the larger or longer Old Testament books by the prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so although Zephaniah is only three chapters long, in fact, it's only 53 verses in length, it's a significant little book that packs a powerful message. In fact, what this Old Testament prophet had to say is just as relevant today as when it was first spoken to God's people some 600 years before Jesus Christ was born on this earth. So what did the prophet Zephaniah have to say? Well, here's the main idea that we're going to discover over the course of the next few weeks. Zephaniah's message, the main idea, the book of Zephaniah, is really all about the story of God's powerful judgment and His equally astonishing grace. It's about the hope of God's grace through the darkness of His judgment because of sin. Zephaniah was called by God to deliver a very stark message of coming judgment to the people of Judah. Judgment was coming soon upon Judah because of their many sins against God. And so the society, the country in which Zephaniah lived in, was way out of step with the commandments that God had for his people. And so the people urgently needed to hear, they needed to be warned of the coming judgment, and they needed to be called upon to repent while there was still time. And so we might think of Zephaniah as the, quote, Paul Revere of the minor prophets. Warning Judah, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, and yet, please understand, his purpose was not to drive people to despair, but rather to drive them back to their God. Or as Matthew Henry put it, not to frighten them out of their wits, but to frighten them out of their sins. Therefore, Zephaniah's goal was to move God's people beyond the guilt of sin to repentance of sin. And to give them hope that is found in God's astonishing grace. Now what's interesting is what Zephaniah's name means. And it means the Lord hides or, or the Lord has hidden. In fact, later on in chapter 2, Zephaniah even alludes to the meaning of his name when he calls the people in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you may be hidden 
on the day of the anger of the Lord. And so Zephaniah's name actually becomes Zephaniah's message to the people of God. He's basically saying, judgment is coming, but if you repent, God will give you a place to hide. Now that's hope through the darkness. That is hope we need even now in 2021. And even though Zephaniah's message may seem rather distant from our own setting in our modern world, what he says still has relevance for us here today. Since the days of the minor prophets, human beings have not significantly changed, and neither has God. The sins that Zephaniah confronted in his own day are not simply some ancient transgressions committed by other people in a distant place in a distant time. Rather, they are the same sins, as we're going to see, that we struggle with. And they're actually the same sins that characterize the country that we live in. As a result, Zephaniah's message of judgment and hope speak loudly to us as well. This is the message that I actually believe with all my heart that we, we need to hear. We need to hear afresh and we need to apply as Christ followers today. And so as we dive into this message of hope through darkness, let's begin with number one, the prophets. Who were they? The prophets, who were they? Well, the prophets in the Old Testament had a special job. Their special job was to represent God and to convey the message of God to the people of God. You can go over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and there the writer of Hebrews tells us that long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. And so Old Testament prophets in particular, like Zephaniah, were messengers of God who spoke on behalf of God. Notice again how the book of Zephaniah begins in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Now that is an audacious claim to make. That is some claim. In fact, the Hebrew word for came literally means to be. And so the force of this phrase is that the word of the Lord became a living, present reality for Zephaniah. In other words, Zephaniah claims that God spoke to him and his message was from the living God. Now, he doesn't tell us how God spoke to him. He may have heard God's voice. He may have seen a vision. In fact, perhaps God spoke to him as he reflected on the book of Deuteronomy, which had been rediscovered in the temple under King Josiah. What's important is that what Zephaniah had to say is no mere human message, but a message that has been given to him by the Lord himself. The word of the Lord, that phrase there, it's a claim of divine authority. Why? Because prophets don't appoint themselves. God calls them, and God gives them the very words to speak. Zephaniah here is not the only Old Testament prophet to claim such divine authority for his message. All the prophets did. In fact, Jeremiah, for example, listen to how he begins, how he describes the way God called him to speak God's word in chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. He says, now the word of the Lord, there's that phrase again, came to me, Jeremiah says. Saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet 
to the nations. Here's the point. In our day and age, we need to understand, especially here as a church and as Christ followers, that we can trust the claim of Zephaniah here that the word of the Lord came to him as a prophet of God. And may we now today, you and I, us, may we have open hearts that the word of the Lord will come to us through the inspired writings of Zephaniah. The prophets, who were they? Well, the Old Testament prophets like Zephaniah, they were messengers of God who spoke with the divine authority of God. And through the divinely inspired scripture, Zephaniah, it still speaks to us today. So let us have ears to listen to the prophecy of Zephaniah. Number two, the prophet. Who is Zephaniah? And what were his times like? Well, we actually know very little about this prophet, except what Zephaniah tells us in the rest of verse 1. And he says he's the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So what do we learn about Zephaniah from this genealogy that stretches back four generations? Well, notice, first of all, we learn that Zephaniah is a prophet of royal lineage who was born in the, at least the worst of times, if not the worst of times in Judah's history under King Manasseh. Now, Hezekiah, some of you have heard of that name. He is the great-great-grandfather of Zephaniah. Is this King Hezekiah? Well, that is the question, and we can't be sure, but most Bible scholars believe Zephaniah was from the royal line of King Hezekiah. In fact, as a boy growing up in the royal family, he, among others, he, he, he would have been in good position to know what was going on in those circles. And as we will see in this series, Zephaniah is well informed about the the religious and civil and political issues of the day. In fact, he even seems to speak from first-hand knowledge when he confronts the sins of the people, and especially the sins of the religious leaders. Hezekiah was a godly king who led the people in worshiping the one true God. But he fathered Manasseh, who was a very, very wicked king, who did great spiritual damage in Judah. Manasseh installed pagan altars in the Lord's temple. He encouraged worship of pagan deities throughout the land. And he even practiced child sacrifices. In fact, Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, was so wicked that he also persecuted those who followed God. It says... In 2 Kings 21, 16, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to the other. This was in addition to his sin that he caused Judah to commit so that they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. That is the people of Judah. Manasseh was wicked, 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 wicked king. And Manasseh had a son named Ammon, and he followed in his father's wicked example during his short two years as king. And as a result, the people of Judah continued to be dominated by spiritual darkness. Now, if you know anything about Judah's history around this time, we could summarize it like this. It was bad, and it was getting worse by the day. By the time Zephaniah comes on the scene, Israel 
had already been exiled to Babylon. And Judah wasn't far behind. Which brings us to the times of Zephaniah. And they were marked by complacency in which the people regarded God as indifferent and impotent. Now, complacency, here's what we need to know, was at the very root of the spiritual darkness in Judah in Zephaniah's day. And I believe it's actually the root of the spiritual darkness in our country today as well. Complacency is the central indictment against God's people here in this book. And Zephaniah promised that the Lord would actually search out the complacent, that is, who regard God as indifferent and impotent. Notice what it says in verse 12 of chapter 1. It says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will He do ill or bad. Now, who are the complacent? Well, the complacent are people who who deceive themselves, first of all. They deceive themselves thinking that they are self-reliant and self-secure, and therefore they are no longer accountable to God. Their view of God is that God will do nothing, either good or bad. They believe that they can just ignore God in their lives. It doesn't matter what you do or how you live, because the Lord won't do anything. The Lord won't bless the righteous. The Lord won't punish the wicked. Perhaps you've thought that once or twice. And so here were people who did not necessarily deny the existence of God, but they doubted the relevance of God. The Lord will do nothing good, they said. And that meant that they did not expect God to help them in their lives or even see any reason to look to God for that help. They said in their hearts, the Lord will, not do, will do nothing bad. And that meant they did not fear God's judgments or expect Him to do anything about their sins. You say, what is all of this about? We might say it this way. As one author describes it, it's really nothing more than a form of practical atheism. As one commentator writes, this view of God does not say God is not there, but God is not here. That is, he's not here in our midst. He's not in our lives. He's not here in our circumstances. He's not in this pandemic. Nor does it say that God does not exist, but that God does not matter. You see, people who think this way might not question the existence of God, but they seriously question whether or not God matters. Why? Because they think God is indifferent to their lives. They think God is powerless to even make a difference in their lives. Now, there's no doubt that COVID is a huge crisis in our country today. But folks, let me tell you, Zephaniah is here to tell us that complacency is the greatest crisis in our country, but most of all facing our churches today, just as it was in Zephaniah's day. One reason for this crisis, according to Gordon Bridger, is because prosperity easily breeds complacency. And we live in the most prosperous country in the whole world. 
But perhaps, perhaps through this pandemic, God is shaking up our prosperity, shaking up our security so that we will turn to him and we will rely on him. Now, the obvious question is, how do you know if complacency has begun to take root in your heart? Well, we'll look at that in detail in the coming weeks. But one way to discern a complacent heart is how you respond to God's Word. When you hear God's Word preached or taught, even when you read it, when you are confronted with the truth of God's Word in your own life, how do you respond? Is your response like those in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, she listens to no voice, she accepts no correction, she does not trust in the Lord, she does not draw near to her God. And so when you hear God's Word, or when you are confronted with God's Word, do you just walk away from God's Word thinking to yourself, oh, it doesn't matter, I can live any way I want to because God will do nothing good or That's complacency. Or do you seek to align your life with the truth and the ways of God's word? You see, the complacent will find that their theology is all wrong. What a rude awakening it was for the people in Zephaniah's day, just as it will be for the people in our day. The third thing we learn about Zephaniah, though, is that he helped prepare God's people for revival by calling them to repentance during the reign of King Josiah. Although the days of King Manasseh were very dark, and let me tell you, they were very, very, very dark days. Not unlike the days in which we live even now. And so although the days of Zephaniah under the king Manasseh were very dark, listen, there was a glimmer of light in the darkness as God kept his word alive through the prophets like Zephaniah and the kings like Josiah. Josiah became king, if you can imagine, when he was only eight years old. But from the very beginning, he was a different ruler than the two wicked kings before him, Ammon and Manasseh. King Josiah followed the Lord, and he ruled in a way that honored the Lord. In fact, he cleansed the land of the pagan idols and altars. He even restored the temple in Jerusalem. And it was during the early part of King Josiah's reign that Zephaniah comes on the scene and he begins to warn the people of God's coming judgment for their sins and calls them to repentance. Zephaniah's call to repentance comes in chapter 2. Look what it says in the first three verses there. He says, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes place. That decree is in reference to the day of the Lord, the judgment that God has pronounced already. Before the day passes away like shaft, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, and notice here the call of repentance. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, 
Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And guess what? For a short time, the people did repent. And revival did come upon the land in Judah. And yet, it was not a lasting revival, for it never took root in the hearts of the people. Which brings us to Zephaniah's prophecy. Number three, the prophecy. What will God do and why? Throughout the minor prophets... God warns of a coming judgment that is often referred to as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This is the overriding theme in the book of Zephaniah. In fact, it's repeated several times. Zephaniah mentions the day of the Lord seven, seven times more than any other prophet. And so here is the overriding theme. Let me give it to you. The day of the Lord historically applies to Babylon's invasion of Judah in 606 B.C. and even the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. But prophetically, it speaks of a future day of judgment that is still to come when Christ returns. Zephaniah speaks of this day of the Lord twice in the first chapter. In verse 7, he says, be silent before the Lord God. Why? For the day of the Lord is near. Seven verses later, in verse 14, he says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. And here's what we need to understand about the day of the Lord. For the wicked, listen, this day, the day of the Lord, will be one of devastation and destruction because they've sinned against the God of creation. But for the righteous, the day of the Lord brings restoration where the nations of the earth will be gathered to serve and worship the Lord God in the new creation when Jesus comes. And so here's what we understand about the day of the Lord. It promises both holy justice for God's enemies and a hopeful joy for God's people. And so the day of the Lord is a day of justice and it is a day of joy. It delivers God's judgment and and it carries his compassions and mercy. The return of Christ the King, which condemns those who reject him. Listen, it also comforts those who embrace him. And so this message of Zephaniah is the day of the Lord. It's to God's people then and now. But let's be honest. This message is not tolerated in our culture. In fact, this message is barely tolerated in our churches today. Most people want to hear about the love of God, but not the wrath of God and the judgment of God. But here's the danger, as one author writes, once you take away from the revelation of God's character in the Bible, the God you believe in becomes a God in your own image and not the true God at all. Similarly, if the reality of evil, judgment, and hell are dismissed, heaven becomes meaningless too. And yet, here is Zephaniah challenging our culture and our churches and gives us a very balanced, view of the character of God, which reveals God to be, listen to this, a just judge and a loving Savior at the same time. 
Listen, Zephaniah brings us a message from God, which, yes, says in chapter 3, verse 8, in the fire of my jealousy, all the wrath, all the earth, I'm sorry, shall be consumed. And yet at the same time, Zephaniah can write about the very love of God for his people when he says in verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And so we see here a God who is both holy and loving. He is a just judge and a loving Savior. This is the balanced view of God that we see here in the book of Zephaniah. God is a God of justice, first of all. Yes, God is angry at sin. Yes. And God is just in judging those who sin. This is the majority of the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is telling us that God is angry at sin. And we are in his crosshairs. Why? Because we are sinners and it's only a matter of time before his judgment comes upon us. Now again, this is really hard for us to accept in our modern culture here in America. And actually across the world. A lot of people today have a hard time accepting that God could be this harsh. We accept a God who is loving and merciful, but we hate the idea of a God who could judge me and hold me accountable for my actions, for my sin. But as Becky Pippert writes, God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but it is his settled opposition to the cancer of sin, which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. But what do we want to hear? We want to hear that our sin is not that serious, and we want to hear that God is not that concerned about it. But the reality is that our sin is far worse than we could imagine, and that God sees in His holiness and love that our sin must be dealt with. So we must first face the severity of our sin, if we want to experience the bounty of God's love and grace and mercy. As Timothy Stoner puts it, what we need to make clear with our bumper stickers and culture current writings is that the love that wins is a holy love. The love that won on the cross and wins the world is a love that is driven, determined, and defined by holiness. It is a love that flows out of the heart of a God who is transcendent, majestic, infinite in righteousness, who loves justice as much as he does mercy, who hates wickedness as much as he loves goodness, who blazes with a fiery, passionate love for himself above all things. Why? Because he is the creator, as he writes, sustainer, beginning and end. He is robed in a splendor and eternal purity that is binding. He rules and reigns. He rages and roars and then bends down to whisper love songs to his creatures. Yes. God is angry at sin, and he is just in judging those who sin. But there's more. Zephaniah also shows us that our God is a God of hope and joy. God is abundant in his mercy to sinners who only deserve judgment. 
We need to know how seriously God takes our sin. And then we need to see how abundant God is in his mercy to those who repent. Zephaniah, the reason I love this book, besides that it's short, only three chapters, is that it speaks words of hope that flow from the reality of the Lord's sovereign power. He tells us in chapter 2 that if God's people repent, if God's people will humble themselves, seeking the Lord's face, then a refuge may be found on the coming day of judgment. And indeed, according to chapter 3, the Lord's purpose, as we will see, is not to destroy all flesh, but rather it is to transform the nations into his pure worshipers. Man, that's what history is driving towards in a climactic time when Jesus comes and we are gathered together, those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And we are gathered together in glory to worship for eternity our Lord and Savior. And even a remnant will be found in Israel too, who humble themselves and find refuge in the name of the Lord, according to chapter 3. And so get this, folks. Listen to me, church. The day is coming when the Lord, who, yes, demonstrated himself mighty in judgment when Jerusalem was destroyed, will also demonstrate himself mighty in salvation, redeeming a people over whom... He will rejoice with seeing the days we live in today. It may be as dark as the days of Zephaniah, but the message of Zephaniah reminds us that God is sovereignly working out his redemptive purposes and nothing can stop it. The message of Zephaniah is this. Yes, God's judgment is coming. But there's hope for those who heed the warning to repent and seek refuge in Jesus Christ. In the recent cross conference, in fact, our church had the opportunity to host this conference a couple of weeks ago. And there was a group of us down in the multipurpose room that got to watch the live stream of it, Cross 20. In one of the sessions, John Piper spoke, and he began his session this way. He says, I'm praying that this pandemic would not be wasted in your life. I just thought, what a great prayer to pray for ourselves and for each other. I'm praying that this pandemic would not be wasted in your life. In other words, pray that this pandemic would be mingled with God's word, he goes on to explain, to make us more devoted and passionate in following Jesus Christ as our Savior and King. In other words, allow this pandemic to cause us to stop and reflect not what's happening outside in the world, but in our own lives, our own hearts. And to repent if necessary. Allow Zephaniah here to remind you how seriously God takes your life and your relationship with him. And if you have failed, then remember the message of Zephaniah. God is always a God of hope and restoration. 
Yes, God's judgment is coming. But there's hope for those who repent and seek refuge in Jesus Christ. Zephaniah reminds us, as we will see, that we are an idolatrous people. We are an indifferent people whom God rightfully judges. Zephaniah then tells us it's time to be silent from our excuses. It's time to be serious about our sin and need for salvation. There is a price that must be paid for our sin. And while we should be the ones to die and pay for it, instead God sacrificed his son. And in doing so, this shows us the depth of God's justice and love. As Zephaniah proclaims, God is in our midst. A mighty one who will save us. One who will sing a victory song over those who repent and love him. Listen to the words of Peter in Acts chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. On the day of the Lord, there is only one place to find refuge. And that is in Jesus Christ. Have you found him? Have you sought him? Are you in him and is he in you? Would you bow your heads with me? And for just a few minutes here, a few moments... In the quietness of this auditorium, in the quietness of your heart, would you cry out to God in prayer? Would you seek Him? And if need be, even to ask for repentance where you have failed and seek His forgiveness and mercy. Perhaps you would even pray, as John Piper prayed, that this pandemic would not be wasted in your life and you will allow God's Word to mingle in your heart and to reveal what needs to take place. Our Heavenly Father, wise are your ways. Wise is your plan of redemption. Thank you for providing the solution to our sin in condemnation, by bearing the judgment in your Son. And so we rejoice here this morning. We celebrate Him as our King. And may we begin to know and embrace the depths of His love for us. And we do ask that this pandemic would not be wasted in our lives, but that it would cause us to turn to you for our hope through the darkness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.